Welcome to the Fair Talks podcast, where we educate everyday people for extraordinary change. I'm your host, Alicia Chan, Executive Director of Fairtrade LA, a community of business members, nonprofits, and fair trade enthusiasts driving proactive, sustainable solutions for a fairer world. I'm also a social entrepreneur with a passion for ending poverty and creating dignified jobs. Together, we'll explore how fair trade changes lives and communities and what we can do to address some of the world's biggest problems right in our own homes. Let's dive in. When we talk about the start of the fair trade movement here in the United States, we really have to thank one special woman named Edna Ruth Baylor. She was a real world changer and a real inspiration. The movement she helped create is and will continue to change lives forever. In 1946, Edna Ruth Baylor traveled to Puerto Rico where she met skilled craftswomen who were struggling to feed their children because they had nowhere to sell their products. Having lived through challenges during the Depression, she knew the face of economic hardship. She also knew the importance of dignity and people wanting a way to help themselves. She brought the women's fine embroidery home to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and began to share their story and sell their textiles to friends and neighbors on their behalf. And she reinvested the earnings to buy more from the women, and a cycle began that created long-term and sustainable income opportunities. Thus, the maker-to-market movement was born. In 1950s, Baylor was driving her Chevy, packed with global needlework and handicrafts, to women's sewing circles and parties across the country, which reminds me of myself and our business members driving our fair trade products to do pop-ups wherever they will have us. And over the decades, she worked with artisans in more than 30 developing countries. And this awareness around inequality in international trade and marginalized communities prompted the founding of the World Fair Trade Organization. Edna Ruth Baylor became the founder of 10,000 Villages, a nonprofit fair trade retailer who connects artisans in under-resourced countries with conscious shoppers in the United States by offering ethically sourced gifts, homewares, and fashion accessories crafted by hand. Now, 10,000 Villages is generating sustainable income and impact for 20,000 makers in more than 25 countries who earn a fair living wage in safe working conditions. That means families are able to build homes and save for the future, their children stay healthy and go to school, and their communities develop and thrive. Partnering with people often excluded from the marketplace, particularly women, 10,000 Villages shares the crafts, culture, and stories of makers through a network of over 45 branded stores and more than 300 retail partners, as well as an e-commerce shop. As a pioneer of fair trade, 10,000 Villages does business differently, putting the people and the planet first since 1946. Edna once said, I'm just a woman trying to help other women. And that's truly the heart of the fair trade world. Just one person trying to make life better for another on the other side of the world. Recently, 10,000 Villages is once again making history and advancing the fair trade movement with the first of its kind collaboration with the premiere of a highly anticipated Hollywood movie, Jurassic World Dominion. Yes, you heard that right. 10,000 Villages is exclusive retailer creating exclusive merch for this movie and is all fair trade and handmade by global artisans. 
It's incredible to see fair trade embraced by the entertainment industry, and I cannot wait to hear all the juicy details of how this collaboration came about. To tell us all about it today, we have with us Mary Lampman, the merchandising director for 10,000 Villages. She joined this organization in 2021, just as the project between NBC Universal and Amblin Entertainment's Jurassic World, a company project, and 10,000 Villages roared to life. This is Mary's first foray into the world of nonprofit fair trade, but she brings to this project a long career in the for profit retail world, having held leadership positions with David's Bridal, FAO Shorts, Zanny Brainy, Burlington Stores, and Macy's. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much for jumping on this podcast with me. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm so excited to dive into all the juicy details about uh, 10,000 Villages' most recent collaboration with Jurassic World. But before we get to that, I want you to tell us a little bit more about your previous work in the for-profit retail world. I want to hear all about it, but especially your work with FAO Shorts, because I grew up with a huge store in downtown San Francisco. Sadly, not there anymore, but I just got lost in there playing with all the toys, the giant piano on the floor. It was so much fun. And I just also feel like there's so much the nonprofit world needs to learn from the for-profit world to create sustainable infrastructure um, and to connect with consumers. So tell us more about your previous life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is definitely for-profit, a very different picture than it is in the fair trade world. I had many different experiences in the buying side, on replenishment side, managing planning. So everything from developing product to getting into stores, e-commerce, all those good things. But you know, I was thinking about how this is different and how it's the same. You know, and at its very best, when you're doing it right, retail is about this sense of wonder and delight. You know, it's this idea of whether it's the form or the function of the product, it is the theater of visual merchandising. It's how you tell a narrative, you tell a story about a product, you create a customer relationship. Mm. And in the for-profit world, you have the opportunity to have a bigger infrastructure, right? You have more people to work on that. You have specialized roles uh, in the fair trade, more of a, I'm wearing one hat and yeah. it's just hat and doing many different things. I'm sure that, you know, this very, very well, yes. uh, so you have that aspect of it. And then, you know, in a for-profit, you typically have a pretty big marketing piece of the organization. So you can talk very broadly. You can talk very often to your customer. You have a lot of energy behind that developing your market share, And uh, that's a very different picture when you're in the fair trade world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's you, you definitely know what you're talking about. And I wish, and I want to just bring more of that into the nonprofit fair trade world, because really that's the only way we can compete with, you know, what people are doing out there. And I share this in previous podcasts, but fair trade needs bigger piece of the pie. So whatever we can do to do that. So I'm curious, what made you dive into the nonprofit world and why did you choose 10,000 villages? What brought you to 10,000 villages? Yeah. 
interesting story. I think we all want to do good quality work, you know, and I've had a long career of wanting to be that person always developing and, and delivering a good product, delivering good work and wanting to learn and grow. And I realized after a fair amount of time that that was just not enough anymore. I still wanted to learn and grow, but I really wanted to do it for a different reason, not to help pay off the shareholders, not to build a CEO's bonus structure. I really wanted to just still do a good job mm-hmm. down to do good. Mm-hmm. And so I had, I told this story when I came on board with Villages, I had up on my vision board in my office for three years, I had a note card that said, find a company like 10,000 Villages. Aww. I had been a customer for about 20 years. Wow. And I, I, you know, kept saying to myself, find it, find a company like this and just tripped over the posting for this job one day. So my partner in marketing at 10,000 villages likes to say, I manifested this role. Yeah. I manifested this. This is what I wanted to do. And now here I am. You're literally perfect for this role. <laughs> literally with your experience. So perfect. Well, welcome to the fair trade community. I, I love this community and it's hard not to fall in love with the heart behind it on all the people. So I have to tell you, I had the best work research project or homework in preparation for this interview. I went and watched Jurassic World Dominion on opening weekend here in LA. (laughs) It was so much fun. The the theater was packed and this is definitely not an ad, but the movie was just so entertaining and action packed. I highly recommend it. And there's just also something special about this one for me, because I remember it was the first movie I watched in theaters after coming to the U.S. I think it was the Lost World Jurassic Park. I think it was like 1997. Wow. Yeah. And I just remember as a little girl getting lost in that movie and like hiding in my jacket or whatever, (laughs) like so scared and jumping at every part, which I was kind of doing that (laughs) for this movie. So this experience just kind of like brought me back to that. So I'm super like that makes me even more excited to dive into this conversation. So to let our audience know, how did this connection even come about uh, with 10,000 Villages and Jurassic World being the exclusive producer of their merch? Tell us more. Yeah. Well, I think that understanding how we got here is understanding what the project is. And it'll make more sense when we talk about Villages history, but this is a you know, first of its kind, pioneering idea. It is this idea about celebrating artisans and their handicrafts, infusing fair trade product with the narrative storytelling. It's broader than just one product, but a collection. You know, that whole idea of the Hollywood movie magic. How do you tell that story? Mm-hmm. And what we really thought about in the purpose of this project was the opportunity to make a positive social impact, really wanting to look at those underserved communities and nonprofits worldwide, the emission-driven merchandise. Um, mm-hmm. So we at 10,000 Villagers were very interested in getting involved in this because we were one of the pioneers of the fair trade, You know, one of the founding, proud founding members of uh, FTF and WFTO. This just felt like it had us written all over it. We yeah. had to be part of it. So yeah. the connection that we had, a uh, former member of our leadership team and current member of our national board of directors had the connection with a company and a company had the connection with Universal. 
So we were able to get connected and have conversation. And, you know, a company also in the fair trade space on the marketing side and in product development, their philosophy aligns really well with ours. You know, it's about merchandise for the greater good, promotion of handmade and artisanal product, and fair trade principles, humanitarian things. You know, selfishly too, the opportunity to have innovation in the fair trade space, you know, we have a great mission. We have a great intent, innovation in there, thinking of other ways to drive business to fair trade. And the fact that we can get more eyes on the fair trade principles yeah. and function of doing this, that we're, we're in that critical time. People are thinking about, you know, it's conscious consumption and it's values-based shopping. So there could be no better time to get involved in something like this. Yeah. Wait, does that mean there'll be more collaboration with Universal? <laughs> uh, never say never. We're definitely yeah. open. We're definitely open. It's, yeah, very, it's been very exciting for us and for the artisans, especially. Yeah. I mean, we just have to thank our advocates so much. Honestly, fair trade movement, I feel like is growing because we have advocates everywhere on the grounds wanting to grow this with us. So yeah, I love that. It's from a connection. So personally, I think it's time for the media and the entertainment industry to recognize fair trade. It is about time. Great. <laughs> yeah. And I always get so excited about like when influential people use their platform for good. And yeah, I think it's like a no brainer for people, projects, organizations that align with fair trade values to create merch made with fair trade principles. So I love that a company project is doing that. So Tell us now how this movie Jurassic World Dominions ties in with fair trade. Oh, definitely. The themes from this movie, I'm so happy that you saw it. I, I saw it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the themes really complement fair trade. You know, we're talking about social impact strategy. And when we think about this, we think about this as legacies. And, and I, I kind of think of them in three different ways. First of all, is this very much in the movie, legacy of the past, you know, this protection of cultures and of craft, certainly protection of the dinosaurs, you know, valuing wonder at what that past was and wanting to keep that going. That's, that's all through the movie. Also very much this legacy of the present, where are we in, in in this moment, what's so topical right now, the idea of coexistence and community you know, really that impact focusing on sustainability. That's through the movie too. You see that very much, you know, sustainability of the planet. So that's something that's very topical. And then I think one of my favorite things, I call it the legacy of the future. This franchise has always had strong characters, action-oriented, educated, and, you know, remarkable amount of women characters that fall into that role. So this is about women's empowerment, you know, protecting wages, workers, women's rights and underserved communities worldwide. Yeah, I was actually listening to some of the interviews that the actresses have been doing to promote this movie. And they were talking about women empowerment. And, you know, the interviewers are like, how did you do this? And they're like, basically just hiring the same amount of women and men. Like that's literally all it takes (laughs) to to empower women, just hire the same amount of people. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I've seen some of the products and I could just imagine all these kids 
getting so excited when they walk into 10,000 villages. So I want to talk more about the actual products itself and we'll link all that in our show notes as usual. So tell us what are some of the merchandise, where are they made and how is the decision-making process with Jurassic World in terms of like what to make? Because with fair trade, there's endless possibilities. It's not just a t-shirt, a pen or a mug. So yeah, exactly. tell us, tell exactly. us all, the, all the details. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the great thing was when a company brought the idea to us, they brought some ideas. What could this assortment look like? What could the product collection be? Because your point, we could have gone a million different ways, yeah. here, right? The most important thing was this was artisan handcrafted product, and it celebrates the legacy of the work that they've done, the crafts that they know how to make. So when they brought the ideas to us and we talked about that, we had to think about what kind of materials, you know, who in our artisan network, we've had these relationships with artisans for 20, 25 years. So who has the combination of skills? How many artisan groups do you go with? Who has scale? Coming out of COVID, I think that was one of the big challenges. Who has artisans still in play with, you know, everything that happened with COVID? So... First, we had to think about who we would talk to and who could produce these different items with us. So we ended up with three distinct artisan groups. Hmm. The one that most of the product that you're seeing right now from is our partners out of India, Sasha. Hmm. And they are a decentralized network of about 5,000 artisans. Wow. And 70% of those are women. So again, woman-led too, I should mention, all of these artisan groups that we found with these great skills, all female-led artisan groups. So it's resonated at so many different levels. So we found that they had the skill set. We also found our partners in Nepal, Nepal's finest, Minushi, and also ACP, Association for Craft Producers out of Nepal, women-led groups. Again, most of the artisans are women. This was just such an exciting time to think about what the product is because we're thinking about this new, meaningful, conscious era of licensed consumer products. So we're thinking about people that can continue producing these kinds of things as we move into the future. So selection of them was very, very important. Mm -hmm. And then the product came down to what's the intent of the movie? You know, it's back to that idea with the wonder um, and the delight and so it was products that are playful. It's products, though, that are sophisticated and really focusing on housewares and accessories, using these traditional crafts, traditional artisan techniques, and really elevating it. You know, high quality. We're very, very proud of what the artisans have made for us. I mean, honestly, I can't tell you how many meetings we had where I would just be fawning over the, I mean, just touching, mm -hmm. touching all the products. So we are in hand-carved wood, hand-carved neem wood, which is this beautiful, dense wood, really beautiful to carve, has antimicrobial properties, just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I cannot say enough good things about that. So we've yeah. done that in some of the plates, and you'll see more of that as we come into the selection that's coming this fall. And then our textiles, hand-woven textiles, hand-dyed, hand-printed, mm -hmm. we've got block printing, you know, it was just so many different techniques and such an exciting assortment to work with. Yeah. I saw this poncho thing that the, the kids could put on and it has the dinosaur over the hood. It's so yep. cute. Yeah. Adorable. 
Yeah. It is really a product for the kids and the kids that are young at heart still, you know, it's like everyone that's just part of that delight and wonder. I hope a lot of kids wear that for Halloween. I hope so too. Yeah. And I can also see a lot of people hosting parties with that wooden tray with exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest challenges you encountered with this big collaboration? Because unlike other merch that could just be mass produced, this is something that is locally sourced, all handmade. I mean, there's not enough we could emphasize about this. This is all handmade. Like what a huge impact this is making. But what are some of the biggest challenges you encountered with this? Yeah, well, you're you're 100% right on the handmade, artisanal, that just that the time that it takes to, this is not a factory. This is, yeah. this is people individually getting these materials and making that. That was definitely a challenge because when we had the original conversation with the company, we were thinking we were going to launch this product in the fall. Hmm. We were so excited by what we saw. We were so excited by what the potential was that we brought some of this product forward. And that, again, with this handmade idea, became that much more of a challenge with all the supply chain issues, Mm -hmm. you know, getting materials. It was definitely a challenge, but it was just miraculous. Honestly, we spent a lot of time talking about it. That was a beautiful thing. We were able to overcome all of those things and still bring quality product to the market. But that wasn't the biggest challenge. Honestly, the biggest challenge for us with, you know, all those artisans and everyone in our store network and everyone at our home office and everyone in our warehouse, we had to talk about this before the goods got here is talk about what we were trying to accomplish in order to be able to have it land when it, we wanted to land in the stores and, and really make an impact and have people be able to talk about it. A lot of people had to know, but we had to keep it quiet. Oh, and no. that keeping everything <laughs> under wraps for as long as we did, that part is the true miracle because everyone was wow. so excited about it. But we wanted to make sure we could have all the product here and that we could show everyone what fair trade artisan handmade product can do and can be. You know, a collection yeah. like this just wonderful. Sorry to interrupt, but we gotta tell you this. Did you know that Fairtrade LA led the campaign that officially designated Los Angeles the largest fair trade city in North America and the fourth largest in the world? We are a nonprofit that exists because of the support from people like you. Become a Fairtrade LA monthly donor to ensure this educational content reaches as many people as possible. Go to Fairtrade LA slash donate to pledge your support. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Let's get back to the episode. So how long was this whole process from the first discussion to actually being in store? Well, the very first discussion happened before I joined the company. Hmm. So I would tell you, I've been with the company nine months now. So I can't can't confirm or deny how long exactly. But, you know, you do know with the handcrafting process, it is a longer time. period. It's not like you can just put three shifts on the factory floor. And just work around the clock. That's not it. These people have lives and they get to sleep and eat and things like the rest of us. So, yeah, I can't imagine having to keep that a secret for years. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. That is the hardest part. (laughs) So the next thing is I want to dive into the real impact because that is what fair trade is about. So what is the impact that this giant collaboration has made on the grounds in India and Nepal and the lives of these artisan groups involved? 
Yeah, we're still reading that long-term impact, but I will tell you the short-term impact has been just the amount of joy and excitement about their ability to scale to a new level, mm. you know, that this is getting this kind of attention, that fair trade is being recognized as being this important, that this mm. big of an idea comes to them. There is such a heartfelt, overwhelming feeling of possibility, you know, and that that's the exciting thing for us. It is really, it's a world of new possibilities for them. Mm. Uh, their ability to take this, work on this timeline, deliver such high quality product. I mean, honestly, I could not be more proud of what they've brought to market. Their ability to do that and just grow in scale, grow in understanding, grow in their market, you know, it's amazing. And it's going to bear fruit for so many years to come. We're having conversations now about them with other parts of our business. You know, it's just so exciting to see what they can do. It's you try it on, And it fits, you know, and you're saying to yourself, I did not know until we pushed that we could do this much. And it's so true because a lot of people, when they think about fair trade, they're like, well, can they scale up? Like, because it's handmade, like, can they handle large quantities? So that is so true. You guys push the limit and now it's like opening a whole new world. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, You know, the other side effect of this that I would say has been a good thing is to the extent that we can take the traditional movie merchandise, plastic, end up becoming plastic waste out of the yeah. manufacturing chain, that's a win too. You know, yeah. less plastic pollution in the world. Yeah. That's a, that's a win for everybody. And it's like actual product that people can enjoy for a exactly. long time. Yeah. Exactly. So for our listeners out there who are inspired to use their platform for good in any capacity, whether it's a big motion picture like this or a small business, what are some of the tips you could share from this experience? Definitely. I would think that there there are a couple. First of all, probably the most important, choose your partners wisely. You know, we had the great benefit being in the fair trade and having been in these relationships with our artists and partners, we've known these folks for 20, 25 years, you know, so many great conversations that preceded this to have that muscle memory of conversation and communication points. But even with a new relationship that we have with a company, having a partner that is with you all the way along, you know, equally invested in what you're trying to accomplish the fact that a company had that fair trade focus, it made all the conversations easy. You know, we were pointing in the same direction. So it was a beautiful thing. I would say also definitely consider in advance to your point, consider scale, you know, what will success look like and what is the follow-on opportunity that you need to be thinking about with your artists and partners. We were building the plane as we were flying it, but we were still having the conversation about, okay, so when this is successful, what's next? How many groups, how many artisans, what could the material pipeline look like so that we can help them be ready for the next opportunity? Mm -hmm. And then finally, I'd probably say over-communicate, no matter how much you would communicate, it is never going to be enough. Because there's just so much to gain here. There's so much opportunity and get every conversation on the table. Yeah, that is so important. I personally work with artisans in Haiti and that is just 
it's just so hard, whether it's doing quality control or finding the material, it really does require over communicating and being involved in the whole process. So it is not an easy one. No, definitely not. So this makes me just imagine a world where this is a norm, where Hollywood movies, major movie studios would make fair trade merch, empower artisans globally, help end poverty through their purchasing power. That just makes my heart so happy to imagine that as a norm. So I know this is a big question, but what do you think it will take to get there? It is a big question. I think I would, let me, let me go a little granola for a minute. I think there, in psychology, there's this, this concept of bystander syndrome, which is the assumption that if enough people are talking about something, then someone else is going to do something about it. Just not going to be me. You know, I, it's great. I'm into fair trade. I believe in fair trade. Isn't it great that fair trade is being talked about, but someone else is going to take care of that because it's in the, it's in the news, right? I think that everyone who thinks this is a good idea, my thought would be the only way we get this to be a place where trade, you know, fair is not a qualifier that we need to talk about when we say the word trade is everyone has to take some small action. You know, a, a retailer, any retailer, find one item that you can buy that's fair trade. Get started, you know, yeah. for every studio. Think about that. Just everyone has to do one small action. Yeah. Don't assume someone else is going to do it. We Each of us gets there, we'll build momentum. We'll be able to move this initiative so much faster, so much further. I can see it. And I know that's a bold statement, but I remember when I first you know, dived into fair trade, we could barely find fair trade in our local grocery stores. Mm -hmm. You have to go to specialty places. Yep. But now I get so excited when I see fair trade, whether it's in my pharmacy, like CVS, you know, they have fair trade chocolate or teas. I feel like most grocery stores now you could probably spot something that's fair trade. And that right. is just a new world. And so for us to see Jurassic World kind of take that first step, like be that first motion picture to, to do this at this scale. I think it's a step in the right direction and hopefully fingers crossed that many more will follow suit, but I think it's possible. <laughs> no, I, I believe it is possible. It's just that whole idea, vote with your wallet, but also take action, you know, yeah. be intentional and help us get there. So we'd like to ask our guests this fun question. What is your favorite fair trade product or your current favorite? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard. I know that is. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> well, I would have to say my current favorite, um, and everyone at 10,000 villages in the network would be able to tell you this is my favorite right now too, because I talk about it entirely too much. It is that hooded towel, that fierce creature towel that you talked Aww. about. It's just a thing of beauty. Um, you know, we did it in hundred percent organic cotton because it takes the dye so well that wonder and delight in the product it's, you know, and tactile, right? So it's, I have one here, of course, because sometimes I wear it as a shawl. <laughs> um, it's tactile. It's playful. It's, 
just such a lovely piece. And it just makes me so happy every time I see it. We have it. The colors of this actually match some of the dinosaurs in the movie. Uh, it was, it, you know, there's one that replicates blue and there's one, you know, you saw the movie, so I'm not going to, to spoil it for the folks that haven't seen it yet. But, <laughs> but it's just such a heartfelt piece. You know, it just yeah. captures everything about what this is. And it, it makes my heart happy. So I didn't realize it's a towel. Yes, it's a hooded towel. Yeah, I want to see it. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's so cute. So this is based on one of the dinosaurs. Yes, I recognize that one. The other ones that have the ridge on the back. So yes, oh, love, 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 love. I love that. We will definitely link that into the show <laughs> notes <laughs> for those who want to see it live like me. Well, we always end every episode with this one question. Uh, what is one action step you want to encourage our listeners to take after they listen to this episode to help create a more equitable world for all? That's a tough one. There's so many choices. Um, I would think normally I would say vote with your wallet, but I think that, you know, we're in a macroeconomic climate right now that that might be a little tougher from some folks this year. And I think probably what's even more precious for all of us is is time. So to the extent that the listeners of this podcast and everyone who's thinking about fair trade as being the right thing to do, I would suggest that you volunteer, you know, volunteer your time to some of these fair trade organizations, give them the gift of an hour of your time a week. It's not much to you, but it's the world to a fair trade organization who, you know, are lean organizations, not-for-profit organizations, you know, wearing many hats, so grateful for any help that we can get to advance our cause. And it, it, it just that small amount of activity. If every person who thought fair trade was a good idea gave an hour of their time, we mm-hmm. just imagine what we could mm-hmm. do. Uh, that warms my heart so much because it ties in with how we first started that in the nonprofit fair trade world, people just have to wear a lot of hats. And that's just unfortunate in terms of we work on a limited budget and limited resources. And a lot of people are working voluntarily, but yeah, if we could just get more hands on deck in Haiti, there's an old proverb that says many hands make the load lighter. And it's so true. If everyone could just lend a hand, we could do so much more. And everyone has something to give. Everyone has their special strengths and talents. Everyone has something to give. Exactly. It's just showing up. You know, it's the energy of just that intention coming into the fair trade work. And I will say fair trade really is built on you know volunteers and a grassroots movement. And I think that's what makes it so special. And yeah. People love, love the heart behind it because of the people, I think. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for oh, jumping you. on this podcast and telling us all the juicy details. <laughs> and I just hope this is one of many, many amazing collaborations. Uh, we do too. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. Yeah. Thank you. What an incredible conversation and what an exciting time to be a part of the fair trade movement. I'm hopeful that this is just the beginning. May there be many more collaborations like this to come. I know you are probably all wondering how you can support and shop these exclusive merch. So here it is. 
To shop in person, look for 10,000 Villages stores near you. We have two local stores here in the Los Angeles area, one in Pasadena and one in Redondo Beach. But if you don't have a store near you, you can always shop online at 10,000villages.com. We have all the details in our show notes at fairtrail.org slash podcast. I want to thank the creative team behind the Fair Talks podcast, our executive producer, Juliette Bucquerel, our editor, Caden Sullivan, our marketing team, Jasmine French, Elena Alcero, and Lizzie Case. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Fair Talks podcast. Thank you for being a part of our community and sharing the fair trade message. Thank you again to our sponsor, Fair Trade USA, for making this possible. Now, are you ready to create change? The next time you're out shopping, just pick up one fair trade item to buy, like coffee, chocolate, or bananas, and make a difference. Ask your office, church, business, school, or your family to shop more fair. If you have any questions or want to learn more, head over to fairtradela.org slash podcast for show notes, discount codes, and additional resources. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And follow us on social media at FairTradeLA to join our amazing community of fair trade lovers. Tune in to our next Fair Talks conversation to hear more life-changing stories. Thanks for listening.